Infinity, the word that is commonly used to mean never ending. What is it really and where does it come from? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Information Junkie. Boy, has it been a while since I recorded and released an episode. I am so, so sorry for the delay and the big, big break that I took, but I'm back. And to those of you listening regularly, you will get quality content on a regular schedule. Maybe that should be my New Year's resolution, having a regular upload schedule. Anyway, let's get on to today's topic, the concept of infinity. Infinity really isn't a number. The normal rules of arithmetic don't really apply to it, as you'll see later on. Infinity, as defined by our friends over at Brilliant, is the concept of an object that is larger than any other number. As you know, somewhat abstract concepts like infinity and the number zero have the most interesting mathematical history. So let's dip our feet into that a little, shall we? The Greek word for infinity was aperon. The word literally means unbounded. It was also used to mean infinite, indefinite, or undefined. Aperon was a word that had negative connotations. The Greeks did not like this notion of never ending. In fact, the word did not only mean infinitely large, but also totally disordered and infinitely complex. Pythagoras and Plato could not function in a world where this abstract concept was a reality. Pythagoras believed that any given aspect of the world could be represented by a finite arrangement of natural numbers. Here, natural means whole. Aristotle, however, recognized that there are many aspects of the world that seem to point to the existence of a peron. First and foremost, it seemed possible that time would go on forever, and it seemed as though space was infinitely divisible. This would mean that a line segment contains, or rather could contain, an infinite number of points. To get around these actual infinities, Aristotle invented the idea or the concept of potential infinities. Yep, you heard me right. To grasp this concept, let me give you an example. Aristotle would say that the set of natural numbers is potentially infinite, since there's no largest number, but he would deny that the set is actually infinite since it does not exist as one finished thing. This is quite a weird distinction and its only purpose really is to deny the existence of an actual infinity. Moving on to medieval thinkers. Medieval thinkers were aware of this concept of infinity. In fact, they applied it when they were talking about the Almighty and what he could do. Interestingly, there is one paradox concerning infinity that the medieval thinkers were accustomed to or were aware of, and it goes like this. A line contains an infinite amount of points. The circumference of a circle is also a bent line, if you will. Now, think about two circles, one with radius one and another with radius two. We would be inclined to say that the circle with radius two has a larger number of points. Therefore, it represents a bigger infinity. However, when you start drawing lines from one circle to another, you see that each line perfectly matches the point on both circles. Here's the problem. We now have two infinities that are seemingly the same and also different. What is going on? 
Enter Galileo Galilei. In the 1600s, he offered a rather interesting solution to this problem. He proposed that the smaller length could be turned into the longer length by adding an infinite number of infinitely small gaps. He was well aware that thinking like this would lead to many mathematical problems. So he said, when we attempt with our finite minds to discuss the infinite, assigning it those properties which we give to the finite and limited. But this, I think, is wrong, for we cannot speak of infinite quantities as being the one greater or less than or equal to another. This last bit is often supported by Galileo's paradox. Do you think that there are more square numbers or more whole numbers? Well, one might be inclined to say more whole numbers but you can find a square number for every whole number. Therefore, there are exactly the same number of whole and square numbers. Confusing, right? This exact idea of the sizes of infinity in comparing sets is developed further by one Georg Cantor, some 250 years later. Enter Cantor. Now, this genius developed the concept of infinity using set theory. We really won't delve into that much, about this particular concept, but if you're interested, leave me a comment saying so. This guy's big contribution is to do with the sizes of infinity. Now, we need to know a few things before we delve into Cantor's work. One, what a set is. A set is a collection of objects that can have a finite or infinite number of elements. Cantor also established the concept of cardinality, as in the term cardinal means the number of elements a set has. So when we talk about different sizes of infinity, it is actually formally known as the following. There are infinite sets that have different cardinalities. Now, in an infinite set, we can't really count all the elements, right? Because it's an infinite set. So what do we do? Simple, we use bijective functions. All this means is to know and compare the size of two sets, we just create a one-to-one -one correspondence between the elements of each set. Remember the Galileo paradox I told you about? It's something like that. Using this concept, we can prove that the set of natural numbers has the same cardinality as the set of even numbers or prime numbers or even rational numbers. In other words, for every natural number, we can think of a corresponding even, prime, or rational number, which is unique. Now onto the crazy part. Cantor discovered that the same cannot be done for all real numbers because of the irrational numbers. That is numbers like pi and the square root of two, so decimal numbers. This is because we merely cannot create a list of all the decimals representing the irrational numbers. And Cantor said, it's not because we don't know how to, but because it simply cannot be done. Now, I won't go into the rigorous proof for it. I've linked the video in the show notes for that. But the idea is that you can always come up with a decimal number that is not currently on your list. The conclusion is that decimal numbers, i.e. the irrationals, cannot be put on a list. They represent a bigger infinity than the infinity of natural or whole numbers. Another important conclusion that Cantor is credited for is that for any infinite set, forming a new set made of the subsets of the original set represents a bigger infinity than that original set. Now, a final thought. I've just told you 
that the infinity of decimal numbers, or all real numbers, is bigger than the infinity of whole or natural numbers. Cantor wondered if there were infinities in between these two sizes of infinities. He didn't think there were, but he also couldn't prove it. This became known as the continuum hypothesis. The 20th century did resolve his conjecture, but in, a, in the most unusual manner. In the 1920s, Kurt Gödel showed that the continuum hypothesis can never be proven to be false. And in the 1960s, Paul J. Cohen showed that the continuum hypothesis could never be proven to be true. Considering both of these together shows that there are still unanswered questions in mathematics. A completely unexpected conclusion, as I mentioned before. Well, that's all for today, folks. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, comment, and share the episode as well as the podcast. I'm also launching Test Subjects, a YouTube channel under or in partnership with The Information Junkie. It'll be another STEM-focused channel for students. It'll shortly have A-level content for math and further math as well as some physics. I'm hoping to get more on there as we go along. Please also follow me at The Information Junkie on Instagram for more content. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Thank you.